you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you one. It's so important that you follow along with us. Because we really, I think it's so cool when you're able to look at the Word and you're able to kind of join along with us. And so I think we need one Bible over here. Are you okay? Yeah, we need one Bible over here. Thanks. Let's go ahead and read verse 23, Matthew 19. It says, And then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now we kind of picked up our verses today in the middle of the story, if you remember, of the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler came to the Lord Jesus Christ and he asked him, What do I need to do to to go to heaven, to enter into the kingdom of God? And and Jesus uh, said, You know, we'll keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, well, which ones? And then Jesus gave him a few that deal with other people. And then the rich young ruler said, I've done this ever since I was a kid. What do I still lack? And then the Bible says in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions, give it to the poor and come follow me. And then we read here in verse 22, it says, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. We learned today a a few things. One of the lessons we're going to learn is just uh, something that we've heard many times, but I think it needs to be repeated often, and that is how we have to deal with this whole temptation of being distracted by materialism. Materialism. You know, here the Lord says in verse 23, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's the bottom line. You know, and you might be here today and you're thinking, well, I'm not rich. And if I could, I'm not sure about this, but I'm pretty sure that you all are rich. You really are. You have running water. You're, you're better off than, you know, most people in this world. You, you have uh, food. Well, one-third of the population on this planet don't have food. You have a a couple of pairs of shoes, you're better off than most people. You have a roof over your head, you have a bed to sleep on. I mean, if you have a little bit of fat, you are rich. Some of us are very rich, right? (laughs) I mean, there are people out there that are skin and bones. We are rich, especially us in America. And so this, I believe, applies to all of us. He says, listen, Jesus says this, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The word hard, it reveals the extreme difficulty due to the distractions that riches bring. Here we see the rich young ruler in chapter 19. He chose gold over God. He chose temporary possessions over everlasting paradise. Jesus invited him there, just like he invites all of us to come and follow him. But verse 22 tells us that the young man walked away. The reason being, it says that he had great possessions. He couldn't put his hand in Jesus' hand. Because it had too much stuff in it already, he wasn't willing to let go. And here's the bottom line, you guys. Um, there are some of you here today, maybe, that you're 
Christians already. And you might think, well, then this doesn't apply to me. And, you know, as we look at this in the context, we know, yes, it does apply to the non-believer, that he won't find forgiveness if he puts finances first. You know, a lot of people are like that. But for most of us here today, we're already Christians. And I want to share this with you, that you will not have fruit if you don't put the Father before finances. Because that's what the Bible says. Even if you look back at Matthew chapter 13, remember the parable of the sower and the seeds and the soil? And look what it says in verse 22 of Matthew 13. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. See, the principle needs to be applied to us as Christians. I mean, to the non-Christian, yes. If you don't make God the priority, if you don't seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then you're not even going to enter into the kingdom of God. But for us as Christians, especially California Christians, especially American Christians, let us take this to heart. That unless truly and totally God comes before gold, then we will not bear the fruit that he wants us to bear. And that's why I just really encourage you guys to take this to heart. I mean, this rich young ruler, I mean, he had a hummer. I mean, he was a young man with a mansion, right? He had a thriving business, everything that money could buy. Finances for so much fun under the sun, vacations galore. He had so much and he was so rich. And, you know, the most common conception is that this is a good thing, right? That if you have a lot of money, that if you're comfortable and cozy and you've got a nice savings account, CDs, whatever it is, that that's a good thing. But want to know something? It's not always a good thing. Sometimes it's better for you to live paycheck to paycheck. We need to be so careful because, man, it's so easy to put those riches before the Lord. As a matter of fact, for him, this man right here, it was a, a straight-out detour to hell. The bucks were blocked this guy from God. And it does the same for so many people. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And it's not that money is bad, you guys. It's not bad in and of itself. It's that the love of money is bad. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know, we end up loving money. And we love the things that money can buy, period. You know, the nice clothes, the nice car, nice furniture, all the stuff, the gadgets and gizmos. And God says, you know what? Bottom line is, it's a distraction. For those of you who don't know the Lord, it will prohibit you from forgiveness From those of you who do know the Lord, it hinders the fruit that I wanted you to bear. And that's why we have to just make sure, and as I was going over this, really examining my life. Really, is is, is God really before gold? I mean, when you make your decisions, is it based on financial security or obedience? Truly. You know, we end up loving money and the things that money can buy. That's why in 1 John 2, 1 15, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's very important for us to know this, you guys. Please understand, the best things in life are free. Do you know that? Do you really know that? 
You know, sometimes it's the love of money. Sometimes it's that we trust in money. You know, in the same setting, in Mark chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus said this, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes we love money over the Lord. We'd rather have that than Him. Sometimes we trust money over the Lord. You know, and like I was sharing earlier, sometimes it's better to live paycheck to paycheck. Why? Because you're on your knees. Keeps you on your face. Some people have a hard time praying. Why? Because they have everything. That everything's kind of okay in their life. It's not really, really bad. And so they're not there on their knees like the one who is going through so much hard times. And, you know, the area of finances. I mean, how are we going to pay rent? How will I give food to my children? Imagine being in that setting. Imagine that. And you're filling in application after application, application. And you are praying, God, I need a job. As opposed to the one who has everything, it can be a distraction. I mean, we need to love the Lord before money. We need to trust in God and not money. That's why the Lord says it's hard for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. You know, who is it really that provides, you know, for us? We need to know that it's God. That's why all of our decisions need to be based, first of all, on the will of the Father and not on finances. You know, um, this guy right here, he said, I can't sell everything and follow you. What will happen when I'm old? You know, you, Jesus, I'm sure you know what's going on with Social Security right now, you know. And I mean, I just can't do that. Haven't you heard about the problems? I mean, I can't give tithes to you or offerings above those tithes to you. They're just, you know, they're getting ready to turn off my cell phone. And, you know, what will I do without my cell phone? And, you know, we just really need to make sure that we trust in God and not in riches. You know, if you trust in the Lord, yes, you might lose your house. But you'll always have a home. Not only a home here, but a home in heaven. You know, we might not be able to afford a cell phone, yes, but we'll always have the grace to be able to talk to God. Isn't that cool? We might not be able to afford designer clothing, but at least we'll be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Please understand, truly, the best things in life are free. And the Lord right here is just saying, be careful, because there's always that temptation to trust in riches. There really is. And you have to search your heart. You really do. There's always that temptation to follow after finances, to make our decisions based on the almighty dollar and not almighty God. I mean, earlier the Lord said in Matthew 6, verse 24, listen, here's the bottom line. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one or you'll love the other. You'll be loyal to one or you despise the other. No one can serve God and mammon. And that's the Aramaic word for riches. And yet, I think... America and in the American church, everything revolves around finances. So many times. And the Lord is just saying, be careful. He says there in verse 24, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than for, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some have the misconception that the eye of a needle is in reference to a gate in Jerusalem. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, it was a gate known as the needle's eye into which a camel would go into and squeeze their way through. But in all reality, that gate wasn't built until the Middle Ages. And here we look at the context and we see the Lord is saying, listen, 
This is something that is impossible. He even says that in verse 26. With men, this is impossible. So it can't be in reference to some gate in those days. What he's saying is this, that this type of thing for a rich man to enter into heaven is literally impossible. Now, for the Jew, this would be tough to understand because the Jews had that baby belief that if you were rich, you were right with God. And so they say there in verse 25, if that's the case, then who can be saved? They were greatly astonished in Jesus' teaching. But then Jesus responds with a blanket statement, really over all people, rich, poor, middle class, that with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. If you like to mark your Bible, I don't know if you do, you might want to just circle that, those two words, with God. With God, because that is the bottom line. You know, if we're with God, if we're walking with God, if we're talking with God, if we're in fellowship with God, if we're in communion with God, then all the things that are impossible will be possible. And we see that so many times in the Scripture. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just love that truth that all the things that are hard with men are easy with God. That all the things that are impossible with men are made possible with God. It doesn't matter what it is, you guys. And here we can just take a little side note and just just bring this to our life as a Christian, man. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the salvation of a soul or the birth of a child. Remember we read that in Luke 1, verse 34 through 37. Mary said to the angel, How can this be? How can I have a child? Since I don't know a man. And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For here it is. For with God... Nothing will be impossible. And I just prayed, I'm always just trying to convince you guys and even convince myself, huh, that you guys, we want to go and attain the impossible. We want to see the invisible. You know, for a soul to get saved, for a child to be born, for someone to be born again. You know, with God, let us believe that all things are possible. Let us know what the Bible teaches We see the same exact truth with Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18, 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? God said at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son, you know? And I just get excited. You know, some of you here are thinking, oh, I'm too old for this or I'm too old for that or I'm getting too old for that. No, you're not. (laughs) You're not, you know? We're still young. Anybody here, um, you know, I don't think there's anyone here that's 80 or above. Moses was called when he was 80. The bottom line is what? We need to know that nothing is impossible. We need to believe. I think that's why the Lord has honored, you know, so many of the men of faith. That's why they really believe that, what the Bible teaches. A lot of people only approach life, even Christians, with just logic. And and don't get me wrong, I don't think we need to check our brain out at the door. I'm not saying that. But we need to make sure that we live life based on faith. I mean, you know, putting $25 down for a church building, I mean, that's not, you know, logical. It's faith. I mean, going and stepping out into that direction and that direction, praying for your food before it gets there, that's faith. Georgia Mueller, what about you? What steps of faith do you need to take? What things do you need to believe? 
we need to make sure that we understand that this is the way that it operates. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Here he's saying, listen, it's impossible with men, but it's possible with God. Whether it's birth or new birth, whether it's conception or salvation, that loved one that you've been praying for, that friend, even maybe you getting stronger in the Lord, whatever it is, if you're here today and you're doubting those things, then the Bible says in the book of James, you're like a boat in the middle of the ocean. It's just tossed in every direction. No, let us approach our loved ones that don't know the Lord. Let us approach whatever the calling is in our life, whatever the mission is. Let us approach that with confidence, knowing, hey, maybe it's your, you know, your spouse who doesn't know the Lord, your husband, your wife, whatever. You're disconfident. And God's going to get them. If it has to be in jail, God's going to get them. <laughs> if it has to be on their deathbed, doesn't matter. God's going to get them. We need to have that confidence. Yes, I know they have a free will. But I believe that we need to approach life like that. Just having faith for our loved ones. You know, even bringing be- people back to the Lord. You know, the Lord spoke that message of bringing people back in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, and verses 17 and 27. He told Jeremiah to purchase a field in the land. For although the children of Israel would be disciplined and taken from the promised land all the way to Babylon, God would bring them back. And maybe you have a loved one today who is strayed and they've gone so far away and you're thinking, man, they're way out there in the land of the Chaldeans. They're in bondage in Babylon. While we need to take heart, what the Lord told Jeremiah, he said, buy the field because I'm going to bring them back. And that's the confidence that we need to have. Jeremiah 32, 27, the Lord said this, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And so God is able to save the poor man. God is able to save the rich man, the young man, the old man, black and white, Mexican, Asian, Caucasian, doesn't matter. God can do that work. Just beware, you guys, and be aware that in the midst of all these things, riches are a stumbling stone for many. God is able to save. The only question is, Are we willing to surrender? That we may bear fruit for his kingdom. And so you look at this right here and we see God, the Lord, dealing with materialism in our life. And so I want to encourage you. I want to give you a homework assignment. You know, because it it won't work if it's just you sitting here in the sanctuary and then forgetting about it. Give yourself a little homework assignment. Go home, get on your knees. Get with the Lord and ask Him to show you truly and totally if God really does come before gold. Okay? And then the other thing is, you get on your knees and you ask Him this, Lord, do I really believe that you can do anything? Do I really believe that? We deal with materialism here. We deal with mountains here, how God can move mountains. And then the third thing we deal with here is we deal with motives. Because look what happens next in verse 28. And so Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on the twelve thrones. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 27. We've got to read that. Then Peter answered and said to Him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And so Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, 
When the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You know, the rich young ruler wasn't really willing to leave everything to follow Christ. And so Peter, kind of looking in the mirror, he says, Hey, Lord, we did that. You know, we left everything and, to follow you. And so, so what are we going to get out of it? <laughs> and the Lord gives him a theologically sound question, answer. He just says, Listen, this is what's going to happen. You guys, the 12, you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel in the regeneration, which I believe is in reference to the millennial kingdom there for a thousand years. And then he gives a blanket statement beyond the disciples onto everyone. He says, and listen, everyone who has made those types of sacrifices will find out that in the end, they weren't really sacrifices. They were investments. And you put God first before your children, before your spouse, before the lands, before everything. You're going to find that you will receive a hundredfold now and in the age to come. It shows that you have eternal life. And so the Lord gives him the answer, but in that whole thing, the Lord kind of sees something that's not right. And I think we kind of see it too. Peter's question, huh? Isn't that kind of a a funky question when you really think about it? Lord, what am I going to (laughs) get? It kind of sounds like my children, (laughs) to be honest with you. It kind of sounds like us sometimes. We're like, hey, Lord, I've done all this. What do I get out of it? And if I don't get something out of it, then what happens? We start slowing down. We miss the whole motive of ministry. That motive truly, truly is not what I can get. Motive of ministry is what can I give. Why? Out of gratitude. And if we just forget really about what I'm going to get, and we just serve the Lord because of what he's done for us, then we're going to have motives that are right. Over in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that that's really what it's all about. Let's turn there real quick, you guys, because we need to make sure that we have an understanding of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, that's not good, and he will also reveal the counsels, or literally the motives of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. And so if you're serving only for what you can get out of it, then your motives are marred. Paul says, you know, when I, I serve in the ministry, man, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to purify my, my, my heart And I'm not really worried about what you guys say about me. As a matter of fact, I don't even take a whole lot of stock in what I say about myself. But one day, when I stand before God at the Bema Seat Judgment, 
Then he will reveal all the hidden things of darkness. And he will reveal the counsels and the motives of my heart. And I believe the Lord saw that in Peter. And so he began to say to him, Listen, Peter, this is real interesting. I want you to know this. Yes, you guys are making sacrifices slash investments. You know, you're going to have a position. But please understand this. Even though there you are, you're judging the 12 tribes of Israel and the millennial kingdom. He says right there, I want you to know this. That in the everlasting kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. See, it's not about position. It's about faithfulness. Wherever God has placed you, it's about the motives of the heart. It really is. What did the Lord tell the religious leaders of his day? He said, you guys, you fast and you pray and you do all these things to be seen by men. You have your reward. That's what he said. But those of us who are behind the scene, those people, some of you here that are prayer warriors, you will be first in the kingdom before those who are seen, when their motives aren't right. And so we need to make sure that we truly have an understanding of what the Lord is teaching us here. As a matter of fact, this is why he gives the next parable. If you would, jump down to verse 16 of chapter 20, and look what he says. So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. That connects us to chapter 19, verse 30. Same thing, the first last, the last first. In other words, this parable deals with what Peter's issue is all about. And so look what the parable says. It says in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And so you can picture the vineyard. God wants to bring fruit. It's kind of like that labor in the kingdom. And so the first people that he deals with here are workers under contract. They're going to work for what they can get. And they get a denarius a day, we'll say 150 bucks, okay? And verse 3, and it says, And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. And again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And so he said to them, You also go into the vineyard. And notice again there in verse 7, And whatever is right, you will receive. You see, the ones that he hired at 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock and even at 5 o'clock, those ones were, were like, okay, well, how much am I going to get? They weren't like that. They didn't have that attitude. They just said, you know, whatever. You know, the Lord went down to Home Depot. He saw, saw the, home, you know, the laborers there. What are you guys still doing here? Well, it's not that they went to Jack in the Box or anything like that. They just said, you know, no one's hired us. We want to work, but, but no one's hired us. And the Lord hired them right there, right? And so there they are, and they work uh, their amount of hours, and so it says in verse 8, And when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages. Notice this, beginning with the last to the first. Cool, huh? And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, five o'clock, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. 
And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, Hey, wait a minute, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Notice this, he says, friend. And so he's not upset, but he is going to teach them. He says, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? And so the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Lord deals with materialism. I pray we would. The Lord deals with mountains. I pray we would know he can move any mountain. The Lord here deals with motives. And I just pray he would just purge this out of us. It's a hard thing to get away from, but that we would not serve for what we can get, either now or then. But we would serve for what we can give. If we have that heart, then we won't be like these day laborers who did what? They, they complained. They were bitter. In the end, they didn't like the way this whole kingdom thing operated. They thought, justice. Hey, we worked 12 hours and we got 150 bucks too and they only worked an hour. They got 100. It's just not right. And God says, that's not the way I work. My kingdom, the Lord says, deals with grace. And so we need to make sure that we have the motives that are right. Yes, the Lord will reward us. Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. But we need to make sure that that's not the only reason we serve the Lord. We need to make sure, you guys, right now, that we don't have misguided motives. Because if we do, then we're going to be bitter people. And we're going to be uh, just upside down and out of whack and discombobulated in the whole thing uh, regarding the disciples. I think it was, I don't know for sure, was it John F. Kennedy he even said that? He said, you don't ask what... You know, your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And a lot of people have that mentality in the kingdom. Oh, what can they do for me? And it's not about that as much as, Lord, truly, you know, what can I do? You know, I got 12 hours. I, wow, what a blessing, man. What a blessing. You gave him 150 bucks. That is so cool. What a blessing, man. They're serving there and she's there. Oh, Lord, that's so awesome. Why? Because our motives are right. God honors that. He really does. I believe that this principle here has to deal with rewards, but I also believe it has to do with salvation. You know, I was reading different commentaries on this, you guys, and um, they're split. Some believe just rewards. Some believe just salvation, and they're very, you know, man dogmatic about it. But notice this, if you would, look at verse 29 again. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and eternal life. Look at verse 28. Assuredly, I say to you that in regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
Judging the 12 tribes of Israel is the reward of responsibility. Getting a hundredfold is a reward, right? Eternal life is a gift. You see, he's dealing with both. He's dealing with rewards, wanting to make sure that our motives are purified and right. The first will be last and the last will be first. But he's also dealing with salvation. He really is. He's dealing with salvation and how we need to make sure that we understand that it doesn't matter if you're saved on, on your bedside, there you are, you've got an hour left to live and you give your life to Christ, you're going to get that denarius in heaven. You're going to get salvation. Not only that, we see there in verse 16, for many are called, but few are chosen. That's a reference in the Bible to salvation. Many are called, it's said there in the wedding parable, but few are chosen, few really Know the Lord. We're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. You know, some might say, well, no, this is talking about laborers and work, and it can't be in reference to salvation. Yes, it can. What did the Lord say? This is the work that I want you to work in John chapter 6, that you believe in me. And as we believe in the Lord, he grants us salvation, and we see how this whole thing works out. What was the rich young ruler talking about? Salvation. Huh? He was talking about salvation. And here it is. In this day and age, I mean, who is it that's first? We've got Bill Gates, maybe, or some of those Hollywood celebrities, or some of these people that have a whole lot of money. In one sense, from a human perspective, they're first, right? But then you've got those of us, little people like us in one sense, who we've just given God our life. We've given God everything. And as a result of that, the Bible says then, You've got life. You'll be first. And that's what we see as we study these things together. We look really at how we're not supposed to approach these things based on justice. We're supposed to approach life as a Christian based on mercy. And we learn today about materialism. We learn today about mountains that need to be moved. We learn today about motives that really do need to be purified. And we learn today about mercy. And how God gives us mercy, not justice. Because if he gave us what we deserved, where would we be? We'd all be in hell, right? But he's granted us mercy. He's granted us forgiveness. He's taken all your sins and he's washed them away. And that's what he wants to do, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those people that are out there, man. And so I just pray, man, that we would understand what God's word teaches today. The last will be first, the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is uh, to study your word, Lord, together tonight, today. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would continue, Lord, to just have mercy on us. Father God, as we uh, enter into the vineyard, Lord, I pray that our attitudes would be right. As we enter into life, Lord, I pray it wouldn't be just about justice or religion or morality, but it would be about the goodness and graciousness of a God who has given us what we do not deserve. Father, I thank you. I just praise you, Lord. I rejoice, Lord, in the work that I see you are doing in the lives of these people, Lord. I I see it. It's not a man. It is you. 
who is doing such a beautiful work in the lives of your people that are here today. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just know that, that we would be encouraged by that. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here, Lord, who has not yielded to your hands and the way that you want to form them, who has not surrendered, Lord, completely to you in that you would do that work in them and through them, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, by your Spirit, Lord, that each one of us would just lay down our lives, that we would leave everything and make sure that you are the priority of our life, Father. We thank you so much, Lord, and we just pray, Lord, that you would be with us now as we sing, as we go out this week, tonight, whatever it is, Lord, that you have called us to do in life. Father, that we would do this like we read today with God. With God. I just thank you, Lord, and we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, you guys.